just like to say what a privilege it is for me, Robert Sun, to read God's word this evening. The reading is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, which is on uh, page 187 of the Church Bibles, if you've got one. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestor has known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build, find houses, and settle down, and when you, your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods, and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to see you all. We uh, have prayed already in that lovely song just now, so we're going to go straight to, to God's word. And one of those things we prayed as we were singing was that God would shape and fashion us in his likeness. But I wonder what you would say is the most Christ-like character trait that we can emulate. What is essential to becoming a Christian? 
Isn't it uh, humility? Without humility, it is impossible to become a Christian in the first place. Because humility is saying, I am nothing and Christ is everything. Or as we were singing in the holiday club service this morning, Jesus is the boss. To be a Christian is to say, I am not the boss, Jesus is the boss. He is Lord, he reigns, whether I like it or not. The question we would all face is, will we accept that? Will we accept him as boss of our lives? That is a radical decision, as we've heard from uh, David and Robbie this evening, because it goes against everything the world stands for. From young age, children and young people are being told, if you work hard, if you put your, your mind to it, everything is possible. There's nothing you cannot achieve. The whole world is open to you. You can be successful. You can have whatever you want. You can be boss of your own life. Well, there's two terribly deceptive things, though, about that message. The sad reality is that not everybody will succeed in the way that the world judges success. And that pressure can lead to a lot of uh, mental health issues, as we looked at uh, last Sunday evening. But secondly, for those that do succeed in the world's eyes, they're prone to an even greater danger, that of pride. Pride says, I did this in my own strength. Aren't I great? And the trouble with pride is that it never satisfies. You always have to prove yourself to be even greater. As Madonna once said, she said, My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. And the danger of pride is not just one for those who are not Christians. Even when we become Christians, we are still tempted by sin, and pride is one of the most powerful temptations. Robbie and David are two people who, in the eyes of the world, are successful. Robbie, as he was saying, was a successful businessman. David is a successful GP. But as Robbie was saying, instead of trusting and obeying the Lord, he did his things his way. Made a lot of mistakes in the process. Yet in his love, the Lord humbled him to teach him to continue to depend on him in all things. It's a lesson many of us here have learned the hard way. It's a lesson that God's people down the ages have had to learn, which is why this passage in Deuteronomy is so relevant. So let's come to it. Have a, have a look at it. It's open in front of you. Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 8. And the context, in case you're not familiar with this, is that the people of Israel have been rescued from slavery in Egypt, most powerful country in the world at that time. And it's an amazing rescue. Um, it was an estimate that nearly two million people who were subject to hard labor were taken out of that country by God's amazing power. But they weren't long rescued when they began to grumble. And when they got to the edge of the promised land, um, they didn't believe that God would be able to defeat the evil nations in that land and allow them to take possession of it. 
they lost trust and faith in him. And so he disciplined them. And they wandered the wilderness for the next 40 years, during which time he provided for all their different needs. But now, as we pick up the story, they are about to enter the land again. And Moses is preparing them. He's warning them. So what are these warnings then got to do with us today? Well, three important lessons that um, Robbie and David will, I'm sure, confirm, and many of us too. And the first of those is that trusting and obeying God leads to blessing. In verse 1, Moses says this. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. And then flick on to verse 6 where it says, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills." Now, what this is not saying, first of all, is that if you follow a whole set of rules, you will automatically receive lots of material blessings. Because we know from the whole message of the Bible, we know from our own experience, that first of all, it is impossible to keep um, God's instructions perfectly, to lead perfect lives. We're by nature sinful, we constantly fail, and therefore we deserve God's punishment. But the good news is that God loves us. Uh, He doesn't want to punish us, as we're looking at this morning. And so he sent Jesus to live that perfect life and to take that punishment for us by giving his life up for ours. The blessing we receive if we put our trust in Jesus is therefore far greater than a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees. It's the blessing of a personal relationship with God. A relationship which we can enjoy right now. It's to know that we belong to Jesus, to have the promise of receiving an inheritance from him, an inheritance in heaven that will never fade, perish, or spoil. It's the promise of an eternity with him. That is the greatest blessing, isn't it? And if we are Christians, nothing can take that away from us. So what does it mean then to say that trusting and obeying God leads to blessing? As we're looking at in our home groups this term, although nothing can change that relationship with God, because that depends on him, on his grace towards us, his love towards us, our enjoyment of God, the blessings we experience in that relationship with him, depend on how closely we are walking with him, how closely we are trusting and obeying. To the extent that we are depending, in verse 4 it says here, on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Where the people of Israel failed was um, when things got tough. And what God was teaching them was to trust in him in the whole of life. And what sustains us through those tough times of life is not just physical strength, it is spiritual strength. When Jesus was tested himself 
in the wilderness. He had nothing to eat for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted by Satan to turn stones into bread, to have some food to eat. But he quoted these words from Deuteronomy. He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, some people think of, of trust as understanding God's plans. If they could only see why God has allowed them to become ill, why he's withheld the gift that um, they've been looking forward to for so long, maybe the gift of a child, maybe the gift of, of marriage, why they are serving God so hard, struggling financially, when there are others who have no faith, who are materially very well off. If only they could see things from God's perspective, then everything would be fine. But of course, that's not what trust is about. Trust is accepting the tough times, even when we don't know how long they will last, even if we don't know why God is allowing us to go through them. It's continuing to be obedient, to live godly, holy lives, even when we suffer injustice and pain. It's not being anxious because we know God will give us what we need to cope with everything that may hit us in the future. And as Christians, that is in many ways our greatest witness to the world around us. It's wonderful to see God doing miraculous healings. But it's also wonderful when we see God miraculously giving us the strength to cope with those tough times. We're tempted to stop trusting when things are tough, but for a different reason. We're also tempted to stop trusting and obeying God when things go well. And so Moses warns the people, and he warns them with this message. Do not forget that everything we have comes from God. The Israelites are about to receive amazing material blessings. That brings with it dangers, Moses is saying. Have a look at verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God is warning them not to start thinking that the fine houses, that the wealth, the prosperity that they will enjoy have been achieved by themselves. He's warning them not to forget what the Lord did. And so he carries on in verse 15 and reminds them quite clearly, he says, says verse 15, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. 
The greatest sin of mankind is not violence or immorality or greed, but pride. Pride in what I know and pride in what I can do. I can look after myself. Everything I've done, I've achieved in my own strength. I don't need God. That is pride. And if we're Christians, we're not immune from that danger. Maybe more subtle. Uh, We may know in our heads that everything we have comes from God, because that's what we've been taught. But maybe secretly, um, we may be quite pleased with what we've achieved in our lives. Robbie was very honest about that, wasn't he? So what if we have fallen into that same trap? Well, the good news is that God gives us the way out because God wants to bless us. And so he helps us to trust him by humbling and disciplining us. God loves us. He wants to pour out his blessings on us. Nothing gives him greater joy than to lavish us with great gifts. And if, as we've looked at, blessing comes from trusting and obeying, then it follows that God wants to help us trust and obey. It's for our good. So how does he do that? Well, he does it by humbling us and testing us. There's no easy way to learn trust. We can learn what God expects of us by studying his word together. But it's only when that's put to the test in life that we will see if we've understood it in our hearts. Look back at verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I wonder if you can imagine for a moment what it would be like to be living in a tent in the wilderness. You have no cupboards or freezers with uh, food in them. You've just eaten some food and uh, you've been told that God will provide you what you need tomorrow. But just enough for one day. When you go to bed, don't you think you'll be worried or or anxious that uh, will there really be manna there tomorrow? I think God has said he will provide, but um, how do we know he won't maybe change his mind? What's the natural human temptation? Isn't it to collect a little bit extra to put it aside? Just in case? Just in case God doesn't provide tomorrow? And some of the Israelites did just that, didn't they? And it was full of maggots. Because God was teaching them to rely on him, and teaching requires discipline. If their manner wasn't full of maggots, how would they learn to rely on him? Verse 5 says, Know then... In your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Today, discipline has a bit of a a negative ring to it, doesn't it? It's about somehow keeping control by enforcing punishment. And so we hear about teachers having a, a hard time maintaining discipline in the classroom. But in the original sense of the word, discipline is a positive thing comes from the Latin. Uh, It means teaching, from which also comes the word disciple, which is a learner or a pupil. 
So discipline is not just about gaining control, but it's teaching through the appropriate use of punishment for disobedience. Because at the end of the day, we learn far more through making mistakes and experiencing the consequences of those than if everything is going well or our mistakes are overlooked. Which is why the Bible tells us that God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. It's not easy to exercise discipline because uh, we don't like to inflict pain or, or suffering, but loving parents don't enjoy punishing their children. But no loving parent wants their child to mess their life up. What they want is their children to learn from their mistakes. And unfortunately, it's not just as a child that we, we need disciplining. You know, we remain disciples. We go on learning throughout our lives. Robbie and David will be the first to admit that they're still learning today. To learn is to be humble enough to acknowledge our mistakes, to ask forgiveness for them. And God promises to do just that. He wants to forgive us, which is why he gives a warning for those who refuse to turn to him in repentance. Have a look at verse 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you'll be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. That warning is given out of love. People give warnings because they want to protect others. They don't want them to come to to harm. And that's why it's our responsibility as Christians to, to give that warning to others as God has given it to us that people will avoid that danger. Well, as we come to the baptism, we've seen this evening that trusting and obeying God leads to blessing, that God wants to bless us. And essential to, to be able to trust God and obey God is that humility. And we need to be constantly seeking to, to grow in that humility, accepting that nothing we do is done in our own strength. Everything comes from God. And the place where that humility is most evident, of course, is at the cross. We're told in Philippians that Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of that humility, because of that obedience to the Father, we're told God exalted him to the highest place. Baptism is an act of humility. It's an act of obedience. However embarrassed I may feel, however weird it may feel, I'm following the example of my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saying I'm not ashamed of him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And with that um, humility, with that obedience, comes blessing. Jesus uh, said these words with which I'll finish. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray.
Father God, we do thank you that you want to bless us. And thank you that blessing comes as we obey you, as we trust you, as we are humble before you. So teach us, therefore, to be obedient and humble. Discipline us where necessary, that we may grow in our desire for you, our desire to serve you, that we may grow in our love for you. And bless Robbie and David now as they take this step of humble obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.